are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be chatting with Keith Pompey from Locked On Sixers to discuss the Philadelphia 76ers, the NBA's hottest team riding an eight-game win streak and possibly the new frontrunner for the NBA's MVP award in Joel Embiid. Then we'll be chatting with John Corrales from Locked On Celtics as the Celtics have been one of the NBA's top offensive teams this season. So what's happened to the Celtics offense and why have they fallen off a cliff here in the month of March? Lastly, we'll be chatting with Raphael Barlow from Locked On NBA Big Board as there's now a solid debate about who should go number two overall in this year's NBA draft between Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller. As always, thank you so much for making Locked on NBA part of your day and your first listen each and every day, free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Now, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. That's prizepicks.com, promo code Locked On. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Sixers, Keith Pompey. You can follow wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked On Sixers. And Keith, the Sixers are on one hell of a roll. I mean, they've won eight in a row, nine out of their last ten, including a couple big wins on the road against the Bucks and the Cavaliers, potential playoff matchups down the line. Joel Embiid is averaging a ridiculous 36-9-5, shooting 63% from the floor, 48% from three over this latest Sixers winning streak. How do you even begin to describe the production that we see on a night-to-night basis from Joel Embiid? You know, it's... it's- well, the best way to describe it is unstoppable, like one word, unstoppable production. Um, like it, it's weird. He can do whatever he wants. And I'm just give you a prime example. Like when they played on Saturday, it was one of those things in the first half. He just wanted to be a facilitator. But then in the third quarter, he just like said, oh, I want to score now. And it was just nothing they could do. They couldn't stop his turnaround. They couldn't stop his fadeaway. They couldn't stop him crashing, the, like driving the lane and dunking on people. So the best way to describe his production right now is unstoppable. He climbed to the number one spot on the NBA's MVP ladder as Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets have, have stumbled a little bit here in the month of March. At this point, Keith, what has to happen for Embiid to walk away with, with his first MVP award this season? I mean, I, I think he has to – well, even – you know, it's weird. Like, I, I think that he just has to continue playing. And and even if he – let's say if Joel knock on wood, if Joel and B got hurt tomorrow, I, I still think he will win it because – what is it? They got 12 games left. Um, I, I think that right now he's shown a body of work on national TV and against elite competition – what he can do, you know? So I think that if he doesn't win, it's going to be one of the biggest shockers. I do. I honestly believe that because he's just been playing so well as of late. So to me is unless he just doesn't go out there and, and, and and score like five games in a row with less than fewer than 10 points. I think he's the MVP. All right, Embiid's got it in the bag per Keith Pompey from Locked On Sixers. Now, 
Shifting away from Embiid here for a moment, Tyrese Maxey, who's, his role has changed all throughout the season for the Sixer team. He's been phenomenal in March, though. He's averaging 22 points a night on 57-55, 100 shooting split, shooting 100% from the charity stripe in March so far. He spent the season starting, then he came off the bench for a little bit. Now he's back in the starting lineup. But what's, what's the best role for Maxey on this Sixers team, Keith? You know what? I, you know what? It, it's weird. I, I I was one of those guys who believed his best role was coming off the bench. And I know he's a great player. Great guy. State of Texas, everything. Great dude, right? But the reason why I felt he was best coming off the bench was because when you look at, and you know James Harden, when you look at their pairing together defensively, they give, they're going to give up a lot of points in the perimeter. But with DeAnthony Melton struggling the way that he was in the starting lineup, they were better off bringing Maxie back. But I kind of think that maybe like against elite competition, then you really, in the playoffs, you may th- have to think about it. But right now, the way he's playing, he, he looks good. I mean, the thing about, the one thing I'll say about him offensively is when you have James Harden and Joel Embiid cooking, and doing what they're doing, and Maxie's on the floor with him, he's going to light you up because no one could because you Joel always uh, draws a double. James is James, so somebody you're going to stick somebody on him, and that's just freeing things up for Maxie. So you know, right about now, the way that the Anthony Melton is struggling as a starter, you got to start Maxie. But if Melton was playing better D. I think Maxi right now at this stage would have been better coming off the bench just because you needed to solidify the weakness that they had on that backcourt defensively. You know, Keith, I found this funny stat the other day. P.J. Tucker has now 20 games this season where he has mm-hmm. scored exactly zero points. Mm-hmm. But the Sixers are 16-4 and four in those yeah. games. I mean, what does that just say about about Tucker's way that he impacts the game? Even though you know he's not he's not going to be the guy that's racking up points, right? But just all the little things that he brings to the table, the stuff that doesn't ever hit the box score. Yeah, you know what? It's, it's, that's what it is, and that, because you know what? Here's the thing: like it says, a, like about first of all, is a selfless player. You know, when PJ Tucker, you you don't even think about it, but he was like the um, he was the Big Twelve Player of the Year when he was in, at Texas. Right now, we know he was a second round draft pick the whole nine. You know how that goes. But it just says his selflessness. I mean, there are certain times where you see guys getting the hockey assist. That's him. You also see where PJ, he'll he'll get the ball. He'll 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 take two dribbles and then he'll pass it to a guy. But while he's dribbling, passing it to the guy, he's actually stepping in the way. So the guy's um, defender can't keep up. He does so many of those little things that he doesn't get credit for because there's no stat for that. But that's a winner. Like, he's a winning player. And he's right. People get caught up. Look at P.J. Tucker. He's making 30-something million dollars over three years, and he hasn't scored a point tonight. But you don't look at that. Typically, he's guarding the opposing team's best player. He's doing a lot of things. So. Yeah, I mean, he's a winner, man. He's a bona fide winner. Last thing for you here, Keith, before we let you go, but how much will this postseason for the Sixers kind of dictate the future for 
Doc Rivers as the head coach in, in Philly. I mean, what is the bar, I guess, at this point for a successful postseason run for Philadelphia? I think they need, I mean, for Doc to keep his job, and he's done a hell of a job, a great job, but I honestly think for him to keep his job, they got to get out of the second round. And, you know, right now when we look at it, you look at it and you're saying how great they're playing, like it may even be, they may want need more than that because they're the hottest team in the NBA right now. You have James Harden, who should have been an all-star, you know, t- top 75. You got the MVP. They got presumptive MVP. So a lot of people are looking at this team like, hey, championship or bust, baby. So if they don't go far, I think Doc Rivers is going to be the fall guy and because and, somebody has to go. So I think it's going to be him. Will Joel Embiid's play earn him the NBA's MVP award? How will the Sixers postseason success dictate the future of head coach Doc Rivers? Of course, you'll have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked On Sixers. Keith, I appreciate you stopping my Locked On NBA with me. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Coming up, why are the Boston Celtics struggling so much here in the month of March? What is happening to their offense and more specifically to Jason Tatum? We're going to get there in just one moment. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Next game, how about Joel Embiid to have more than 28.5 points? What about Giannis Antetokounmpo to have more than 8.5 rebounds? How about Chris Paul to have less than 6.5 assists? Or what about Jason Tatum to have less than 3.5 three-pointers made? So, what is prize picks? It's daily fantasy sports, but how does it work? Basically, you pick two to six players. If they score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 25 times back on your money on any entry that you submit. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. PrizePix offers projections on any sport that you watch. That's NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL. You name it, they've got you covered over at PrizePix. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. They're safe. They offer incredibly fast withdrawals, currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. So download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON. If you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PrizePix will give you $50. Don't forget to enter promo code LOCKEDON at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, thank you so much for making Locked On NBA part of your day every single day, free and available on all podcast platforms. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, including YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Celtics, John Corrales. You can find wherever you listen to your podcast. Just search Locked On Celtics, including YouTube. Go to YouTube, like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. John, the Celtics... I've, I've been struggling a little bit here in March, like kind of I mean, yeah. maybe not falling off a cliff, but we're going to get into it and try and unpack a little bit what exactly is going on with the Celtics here because they're five and five in the month of March, including some really, uh, let's face it, ugly losses to the Houston Rockets and then the Utah Jazz. Honestly, some yeah. some bad teams here. And these aren't exactly like blowout lot like, they, you know, these are they came down to the final possession of these games. What's happening where the Celtics are kind of unable to close out some of these games against particularly bad teams. Yeah. You know, I think, I think perspective is, is important to start with here. Um, like the Utah jazz were very well rested, right? They had, I think like four or five days, they had a weird schedule. Um, and the Celtics were coming in on a back-to-back from Portland, 
which is generally tough. They had no Marcus Smart, no Robert Williams, no Al Horford. So that's one. If the Celtics had taken care of some of their earlier business and were still a top seed and they lost this game, I don't think people would have really given it too much thought. But in in the recent you know little slide that they're in, it it looks like part of the rest of the the issues here. The Celtics have kind of reverted back to what they were prior to their run last season in January when they started laying waste to the entire NBA. Prior to that, they were doing a lot of the same things. They were building leads and losing them. They were playing well and then going ISO. They were defending but not rebounding. It's all the same stuff. So I think the 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 place where I land on this is old habits are resurfacing. And then the question then becomes why? And I think maybe there's some level of fatigue. We have questioned Joe Missoula's rotations and how many minutes he's played some of these guys, especially Jason Tatum. Is it a malaise? Is it boredom? Have they kind of felt like, all right, we, we worked our butts off to get to that top seed. We're, we're kind of, we just need to kind of coast a little bit. And then in that week off between the end of the regular season and waiting for the playing tournament to shake out, maybe that's when they kind of get their groove back and maybe they don't care where they're seated. Maybe they just figure anywhere in the top three is fine. And they feel confident in going somewhere on the road to, to win. But right now it just looks like really bad old habits are coming back. Should this Celtics team care about where they're seated, John? I mean, is is chasing after the one seed or maybe hoping that Milwaukee and Philly drop a couple games here and there? Is that worthwhile at this point? Or, or do you think it would be smart for the Celtics to maybe prioritize a little bit of rest and, and, like you said, maybe coast a little bit between now and the end of the season? I've been saying the seeding matters from the beginning. I've been saying that they want the top seed because, especially now, you look at Miami down at the bottom, and Miami certainly has their issues, right? No one wants to see Jimmy Butler in a playoff series and Bam Adebayo defensively. No one wants to see that. Regardless of all their other issues, those two guys alone make it difficult on you. And if you're the top seed, maybe you get Atlanta. Maybe you get Washington. Maybe you avoid some of that. You kind of want that easy first-round series. I don't know how hard. Maybe you sweep Miami. I don't know. But that's that seems like a lot to ask of a team that might be if Miami gets up to the sixth seed in that three, six matchup, I, I, I personally don't want to see that. Uh, I think the top seed matters. And then after that, after that, it doesn't matter second or third to me. Um, but I, I always thought the Celtics should be gunning for that top seed. And they've, they still kind of have that opportunity because they play the bucks uh, in a couple of weeks and the winner of that game gets the tiebreaker. So, all you need to do is win that game, and there's still two games out. So you win that game, and you're one game better than Milwaukee the rest of the way, and now you 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 get that tiebreaker. So I don't know. Maybe they know more than I do, but I, I feel like seeding matters, and I feel like they should be taking care of that right now. After being one of the top teams offensively for much of the season, the Celtics in the month of March have kind of plummeted a bit down to like the middle pack of the NBA. They're sitting at 17th in offensive rating for the month. And a big part of that has been Jason Tatum's struggles. His post-all break, all-star break numbers have just kind of uh, maybe not plummeted, crater. but they're they, sure crater. We'll call it crater. Your <laughs> words, not mine. What exactly are you seeing from Tatum? Because post also break, he's at, he's down to 26.9 points per contest. He's shooting 42 t- shooting splits of 20 of uh, 42, 29, 83. And also meanwhile, Jalen Brown has actually kind of 
started playing some of the best ball of his career. Is that, yeah. is it purely a coincidence or is, is Brown's good play somehow like hurting Tatum no. out there on the court? No, no. Brown's play isn't affecting Tatum at all. That, that has nothing to do. Those, those are unrelated. Okay. Um, they, they've been able to play well together and, and combine for 60 and 70 points multiple times this season. They're, they can play together. And, uh, and, and the way the rotations work is very often it's, Tatum, it's Jalen early Tatum sits he gets the kind of Jalen gets the handle the first quarter Tatum starts to do some work in the second quarter and then the second half kind of shakes out where it shakes out Tatum is struggling with his three-point shooting he is he is a below average three-point shooter this season and it's not even that close I mean he's within a, a percentage plus at this point but that's that's still a lot to make up to get to league average at this point, he's going to have to go on a real heater over the, the final 10 games. And I think he is searching, he's pressing, he's really looking hard to get that shot going and getting away from the things that get him the rhythm, which is attacking, getting to the rim, getting fouled, getting some free throws. I mean, I, if I, if I could pull the old college coach, I'd say you don't take any three pointers until you take four free throws or some, some kind of nutty stuff like that, that you can't say in the NBA. But I, I, I think the point is I want to see him attack because he's been so good attacking and getting to the rim and drawing those fouls that that's an easy way for him to start feeling good about his game. And then the three pointers start to come. He, he's in a pattern of, Bad game, good game, bad game, good game. Maybe a couple of bad games and a good game. So maybe that bodes well for the Sacramento game where he can go and, and hit a bunch of threes. But he's really, really pressing trying to find that three-point shot. And he's getting away from the things that not only make his offense good, but makes the team offense good because everything flows off of him. If he gets off the ball quickly, then the ball will move, the ball will pop. It'll find him again in the right spot. He just needs to commit to that early and trust his teammates. We may have already addressed this through a couple of these first questions here, John, but right now, what do you see as kind of the biggest question facing the Celtics team heading into the postseason as they as they kind of hope to make a, a return to the finals? Well, my biggest question is actually about Joe Missoula and whether he's developed enough feel for the game uh, in real time as the game is going on to, to make the adjustments that he needs to make. Uh, I think as a young coach with minimal NBA experience, he really is reliant on numbers and statistical analysis to get him where he needs to be as a head coach, which is fine, uh, but you need a healthy mix of feel. You need to be able to understand, okay, the flow of this game isn't, the numbers don't apply to this game because so-and-so is just off. He's slow. This guy's lethargic. This guy's not passing today. This guy's clearly worried about his contract, so he's going to be gunning. You have to understand these things in real time and make your adjustments in certain games. Or, or maybe there's something happening on the other side. Like the Utah Jazz threw a zone at the Celtics. They've not played 1-3-1 all season long. They put in the 1-3-1 in practice before the Celtics game, unleashed it, and the Celtics kind of fell apart against it. And, and Joe Missoula, I, I want him to recognize these things in real time, but without the experience to have seen all of this stuff over the years and develop that kind of, oh, I recognize this type of thing. I worry about his ability to kind of adjust on the fly during the playoffs. So to me, 
that's the number one question above can the Celtics get their offense back together? Can they start moving the ball and playing with better pace? Can they defend? Can they rebound? Maybe with Robert Williams back, they can get to a lot of that other stuff. But I, I need to see it from Joe Missoula, and I need to see him figure things out as the game is going on a little bit more quickly. And, and I think if he can do that, then the Celtics will be much better. You brought up his name there momentarily. What is the latest on Robert Williams? When can the Celtics expect to have him back on the floor? The thought here is he might come back for that Sacramento game. So uh, it's been a hamstring issue. He, they, they originally said seven to 10 days, which would have been back for a game or two by now. So it's a little bit longer, but everybody seems to think that he's just about ready. And with a couple of days off, they can kind of put him through one last uh, kind of warm up work, workout. And I, I, he's been on the trip. And if they didn't think he'd come back on this trip, they wouldn't have brought him. So I, I would say anticipate him back uh, against Sacramento. Can the Celtics get their offense back on track before the postseason? Will they be able to make a return trip to the NBA Finals? Of course, you'll have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Celtics. John, I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. My pleasure, Jackson, anytime. Coming up, the debate raging amongst NBA draft experts. Who should be the number two overall pick in this year's NBA draft? Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller? We're going to get there in just one moment. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Nissan. Nissan's Most Electric Player of the Week is brought to you by the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria. And this week's Most Electric Player goes to none other than Philadelphia 76ers Joel Embiid, whose electric play led the Sixers to a 4-0 record over this past week, he averaged 34.8 points per contest, 11.5 rebounds, 4.8 assists, and 3.5 blocks, all in just 32 minutes per contest. Now look, Joel Embiid's game, his brilliant play has led the 76ers to one of the top records in the Eastern Conference this season. He steps out on the court every single night with this stunningly powerful array of skills to be able to get the job done, and he has a duality to his game, right, where he can get physical, he can get down low, he can be that big man, but he also can operate with a bit of finesse, right? Get to the mid-range. He can score in a variety of ways, and that one, that's what makes him such a talented, nigh-unstoppable offensive player in today's league. So if you need a bit more electricity in your life, you can check out the 2023 Nissan Aria that packs pin to your seat power and premium intelligence all in one electric vehicle. The all new, all electric 2023 Nissan Aria, the EV for people who love to drive. Shop now at NissanUSA.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by Built Bar as the Built March Madness bracket is finally here. We know you have a favorite Built Bar or Puff flavor, and now is your time to make it count. Go to BuiltMarchMadness.com to vote for your favorites. I'm going to be voting for the Coconut Brownie Chunk. It is my personal favorite, number one Built Bar. But whatever bar you support, you can head over to the website right now, cast your vote, support your flavor. And when you vote for your favorite bar or puff, you'll be entered into a drawing where 50 lucky locked listeners will get a free box of Built Bar. Not only that, but one Locked On fan will win a 12-month subscription to Built to have the Built's best bars and puffs delivered monthly straight to your door. You've got to try Built Bar, the best protein bar on the market. They are so amazing, you won't even think that they're good for you. What makes them so good? Well, for starters, they're all high in protein, low in sugar, and covered in 100% real chocolate. So run to BuiltMarchMadness.com right now to vote for your favorite bar or puff and pick up a box while you're there. You can vote every day in March, so hop in and support your pick.
And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, thank you so much for making Locked On NBA part of your day every single day. Free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Joining us now is the host of Locked On NBA, Big Board, Raphael Barlow. You can follow wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked On NBA, Big Board. And Raphael, it's that time of year. It's that wonderful time of year. Well, wonderful for me, you know, with the Rockets and whatnot. NBA regular season is winding down. NBA draft talk is heating up. And for months, it felt like, it not even felt like it was, Scoot Henderson was the consensus number two overall pick behind French big man Victor Wimbenyama. But over this last week or so, it, it seems like the narrative has kind of shifted to where there's a significant chance it looks like that Brandon Miller could go number two instead. So let's start first with where do you currently have Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller ranked, and what are some of the reasons for the sudden change at the top of people's draft boards over this last week or so? Well, I have Brandon Miller number two, and I had been leaning towards moving him to number two since January, and I have Scoot number three. Right now, everyone is kind of starting to, I guess, follow follow the leader in a sense, and I know back in January, I mentioned it in a tweet and I got absolutely blasted on Twitter for even considering it. I mean, it went on for like 24 hours. I even wrote an article saying like, for example, a team like Detroit, it does not make sense for a team like Detroit to draft Scoot Henderson. So, you know, the conventional theory is best player available. But my personal theory is even if you draft the best player available and you don't have him in the best situation available or the best situation for the player then are you really getting the best out of him? So, uh, but that was just my theory that I had in January. I've officially moved Brandon Miller to number two a couple weeks ago. And I think the difference is, well, one Miller has, I mean, he's just played phenomenal. I mean, 40% from three, seven attempts per game. Scoot got off to a really, really hot start. But as the season went on, he dealt with some injuries like a nasal fracture and a, and a concussion. But as the season went on, he just was not as dominant as I would have expected. I mean, we've seen some guys put up some huge numbers in the G League, but the last month or so, he was around 14, 15, 16 points per game. I think he only had one 20-point game after, like, mid-January. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, some some compelling arguments here. And, and I, I, I do wonder, the biggest knock that I keep hearing about Scoot Henderson is just, you know, some concerns with the shot, right? Are the concerns legit? Uh, about Scoot Henderson's shot at this point in your eyes? I mean, yeah, right now, but I mean, I think he's going to improve. He's a really good mid-range shooter. I think the biggest concern is that he didn't make the jump that people thought he would make. And it's the same for the Thompson twins who are expected to go in the top half of the lottery. Brandon Miller is a really good shooter. He is a year older, but he's a really good shooter, like I said, 40% from three. But I think the biggest concern with Scoot is, again, he did not make the huge jump and then he got off to like a crazy start. I want to say four out of his first five games, he had over 25 points. And then after that, he ended up finishing the season average in about 17. So he definitely cooled off. Okay, so we know that you've got Miller to Scoot number three right now. What's the argument if you're one of those teams that still believes in Scoot Henderson at number two on draft day? You're still taking him number two regardless. Yeah, but he's a point guard. He's athletic. He's going to have the ball in his hands, has a, a very incredible pace. He's a good decision maker, has all the physical tools, big hands. I think the mid-range shot is really good. And, I mean, it was really good last year. And I think the three-point shooting was 
It wasn't as high because he was making the adjustment from high school to the NBA three-point line, which everyone's going to make that have have that struggle. But, I mean, he is a guy that I think is going to be an engine. He's going to be a multi-year all-star. So it's definitely not a knock on Scoot that he is number three. I just think that we, we as in the media, were a little quick to label him generational. And, and also, I feel like what motivation did he really have in a sense? Like he knew he was going top two, um, no chance to really move up. I like the G League, but there's no sense of urgency in the G League in a sense. There's nothing to play for. You think maybe there was some complacency there a little bit? I think a little bit of it. Because if you look at like his teammates that are from the Ignite that were younger, I feel like they've really, really improved. And I feel like they were playing for their draft position to prove that they were worthy of a first round pick. Well, I think with, with Brandon Miller, for example, he was, I want to say, the ninth rated player in his high school class from ESPN. And then also college basketball. And again, it's not a knock on the Ignite or even overtime elite. But I think with college basketball, one, you get the publicity. But two, you're playing for, I mean, you have these built-in rivalries. You're playing in pressured situations. Like if you're a Kansas player, you're playing in the Big 12. You're playing on the road at Texas. If you Like Brandon Miller, he played in Auburn, which is a huge rivalry. Then you have the SEC tournament, NCAA tournament. So you have these games where they're very intense, and you can see how guys react under pressure. And for Scoot, on one hand, the pressure is everybody is trying to, I guess, make a name for themselves going against him because they know the scouts are watching. But on the other hand, it's like you're playing in empty arenas. You just don't have the same pressure as college basketball. So I think that played a little bit of a role in his complacency. And to be fair, maybe one of the few games where we did get to see Scoot Henderson kind of play up to the level of some competitions was in the exhibition game against Wimby, right? Because there were stakes on that game. He was he was coming out with a point to try and prove to maybe see if he could tilt the odds in his favor of going number one. And, you know, it didn't really work out. But that was at least a fun little exhibition match to see those two guys go head to head. Now, at this point, though, is it is it a, so? Scoot Henderson's going to be sitting out the the remaining five or six games that the Ignite had the rest of this season. They don't really have a shot for the 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 G League playoffs. I mean, is it a mistake for for Scoot to sit the rest of the season while Miller can kind of continue to increase his stock in the tournament? Uh, it just depends on how you look at it. From an evaluation standpoint, if I'm a team, I want to see him play. I want to see him finish out the season. I know me personally, I've tried to watch him play five times this year, and I've only been able to catch him live the one game against Wimbayama, the first game in Vegas. The second game he played like a minute or two before he got hurt. So I've missed plenty of opportunities to evaluate him live. He came to Dallas twice to play the Texas Legends, and I missed those games. From Scoot's perspective and from a representative, like if I were his agent, it does make sense. You don't want him to get hurt. It's meaningless games. G League can get a little sloppy towards the end. It's almost the same as the NBA. It can get sloppy and late March and, you know, teams are playing guys that are basically fighting for their careers. You don't want somebody overzealous and diving for a loose ball because they're trying to fight for a roster spot next year, trying to, trying to hurt them. So I see it from both sides of the fence at the very lowest. He can go with number three. I still think he probably ends up going number two, but it, it, it does make sense to protect the stock from a little bit. 
Okay, one more thing before we let you go here. Uh, we can't get you out of here without running at least one tankathon spin and having you do some selections for us. You mentioned the Pistons as one of those teams where if they were at number two, that maybe it doesn't make sense for them to take Scoot Henderson. I, you know, I think there's a couple of those types of teams, right? I mean, you got the Pacers with Tyrese Halliburton, you got the Hornets with Lamelo Ball. I think there are a handful of teams that might not. It may not make perfect sense for them to take Scoot Henderson number two. So if you're with it, let me hit the wheel. And we'll see where the yeah. where these odds come out at. Oh, okay, tough roll for my Houston Rockets, but we've got. Mm. Uh, we'll just do the top five. We'll keep it. We'll keep it easy. We got San Antonio number one, Detroit number two, Orlando number three, Houston number four, Charlotte number five. Who's going where? Who? All right. So San Antonio one number one. Mm-hmm. Well, Wimbayama. There we go. Who was two? Detroit. Detroit. I would go Brandon Miller. Okay. Who was three? Orlando. Oh, man. I just think it's a lot of redundancy no matter where you go in Orlando. They're not going to pass up Scoot Henderson. Fultz has been playing well. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you got to go with Scoot. But whoever goes there, it, it's a possible logjam. And then four was? My Houston Rockets. Uh, you got to go with Amon Thompson. There we go. I was I was thinking Amon, but I, I, wanted, I wanted the expert to make the pick. All right, I'm glad we're on the same page here. And then lastly, we've got the Charlotte Hornets, number five. Where are you going? If I'm Charlotte, I would probably go with, I mean, I'd swing for the fences. I'd go with Asura Thompson. All right, well, there you have it. A quick tankathon spin with a mock top five picks. With that, who ultimately goes number two overall in this year's NBA draft? Will it still be Scoot Henderson or will Brandon Miller jump over, leapfrog him, if you will, and take that number two spot? Who else surprises and maybe jumps up the ranks on people's boards going into the NBA draft? Of course, you'll have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked On NBA Big Board. Rafael, I appreciate you stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Anytime, anytime. Reach out, let me know, and we can make it happen. That's going to do it for another edition of Locked On NBA. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts.